Chapter Ten of With Clive in India. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Gary Ullman. Chapter Ten: The Fall of Seringam. Although called an island, Seringam is in fact a long, narrow tongue of land running between the two branches of the river Kavari. In some places these arms are but a few hundred yards apart, and the island can therefore be defended against an attack along the land. But the retreat of the French by this line was equally difficult, as we held the narrowest part of the neck, two miles from Kolati. Upon the south our forces of Trichinopoly faced the French across the river. Upon the other side of the Colrun, as the northern arm of the Kavari is called, the French could cross the river and make their retreat, if necessary, in any direction. The two principal roads, however, led from Panchananda, a strong fortified position on the bank of the river, facing the temple of Seringam. Clive saw that a force crossing the river and taking up its position on the north would entirely cut off Law's army in the island would intercept any reinforcements sent by duplex to its rescue and might compel the surrender of the whole french army the attempt would of course be a dangerous one the french force was considerably stronger than the english and were the latter divided into two portions entirely cut off from each other the central part between them being occupied by the french the latter would have an opportunity of throwing his whole force upon one after the other the danger would have been so great that had the french been commanded by an able and active officer the attempt would never have been made law however had shown amply that he has neither energy nor intelligence and major lawrence therefore accepted clive's proposal but to be successful it was necessary that both portions of the english force should be well commanded major lawrence felt confident in his own capacity to withstand law upon the southern bank and in case of necessity he could fall back under the guns of trichinopoly he felt sure that he could with equal certainty confide the command of the other party to captain clive there was however the difficulty that he was the junior captain present and that already great jealousy had been excited among his seniors by the rank which he occupied in the councils of lawrence fortunately the difficulty was settled by the native allies major lawrence laid his plans before muhammad ali and his allies whose cooperation and assistance was absolutely necessary these after hearing their proposals agreed to give their assistance but only upon the condition that clive should be placed in command of the expeditionary party they had already seen the paralyzing effects of the incapacity of some english officers clive's defence of arcot and the victories of arnie and kavarapak had excited their intense admiration and caused them to place unbounded confidence in him therefore they said if captain clive commands we will go unless he commands we do not major lawrence was glad that the pressure thus placed upon him enabled him without incurring a charge of favoritism place the command in the hands of the officer upon whom he most relied 
On the night of the 6th of April, Clive set out with a force composed of 400 English, 700 sepoys, 3,000 Maratha cavalry, 1,000 Tanjore cavalry, six light guns, and two heavy ones. Descending the river, he crossed the island at a point three miles to the east of Law's camping ground and marched to Samiarian, a town nine miles north of the island and commanding the roads from the north and east. The movement was just made in time. Duplex, utterly disgusted with Law, had resolved to displace him. The Hotel, the only officer he had of sufficient high rank to take his place, had not, when previously employed, betrayed any great energy or capacity. It appeared, nevertheless, that he was at any rate superior to law. On the 10th of April, therefore, he dispatched the Hotel with a 120 French and 500 sepoys, with four guns and a large convoy to Seringam, where he was to take the command. When he arrived within 15 miles of Semiarian, he learned that Clive had possession of that village, and he determined upon a circuitous route by which he might avoid him. He therefore sent a messenger to Law to acquaint him with his plans, in order that he might aid him by making a diversion. Clive, in the meantime, had been at work. On the day after his arrival at Samivarium, he attacked and captured the temple of Mansurpeet, halfway between the village and the island. The temple was lofty and stood on rising ground and commanded a range of the country for many miles round. On its type, Clive established a signal station. Upon the following day, he carried the mud fort of Lalgudi, which was situated on the north bank of the river, two miles to the east of Pechanda, which now remained Law's only place of exit from the island. The hotel, after sending word to Law of his intentions, marched from Utatawa, where he was lying, by a road to the west, which enabled him to move round Samiarium to Pachanda. Clive captured one of the messengers and set off with his force to intercept him. The hotel, however, received information by his spies of Clive's movements, and not wishing to fight a battle in the open with a superior force, fell back to Utatua, while Clive returned to Samovarian. Law, too, had received news of Clive's movement. Here was a chance of retrieving the misfortunes of the campaign. Pachanda being still in his hands, he could sally out with his whole force and that of Chunda Sahib, seize Savarian in Clive's absence, and extend his hand to Diotel, or fall upon Clive's rear. Instead of this, he repeated the mistake he had made before Trichinopoly, and instead of marching out with his whole force, he sent only 80 Europeans, of whom 40 were deserters from the English army, and 700 sepoys. The English returned from their march against Diotel. The greater portion of the troops were housed in two temples, a quarter of a mile apart, known as the Large and Small Pagoda. Clive, with several of his officers, was in a caravansary close to the small pagoda. Charlie's company were on guard, and after paying a visit to the sentries and seeing that all were on the alert, he returned to the caravansary. The day had been a long one, and the march under the heat of the sun very fatigued. There was therefore but little conversation, 
and charlie finding on his return from visiting the sentries that his leader and the other officers had already wrapped themselves in their cloaks lain down to rest imitated their example half an hour later the french column arrived at samiarium the officer in command was a daring and determined man before reaching the place he had heard that the english had returned and finding that he had been forestalled he might well have returned to law he determined however to attempt to surprise the camp he placed his deserters in front and when the column arriving near the sepoy sentinel was challenged the officer in command of the deserters an irishman stepped forward and said that he had been sent by major lawrence to the support of captain clive as the other english-speaking soldiers now came up the sentry and native officer with him were completely deceived and the latter sent the soldier to guide the column to the english quarter of the camp without interruption the column marched on through lines of sleeping sepoys and mahrattas until they reached the heart of the village here they were again challenged they replied with a volley of musketry into the caravansary and another into the pagoda then they rushed into the pagoda bayoneting all they found there charlie who had just dropped off to sleep sprang to his feet as did the other officers while confused by the noise and suddenness of the attack others scarcely understood what was happening clive clear head and ready judgment grasped the situation at once gentlemen he said calmly there is no firing going on in the direction of the great pagoda. follow me there at once snatching up their arms the officer followed him at a run the whole village was a scene of wild confusion the firing round the pagoda and caravansary was continuous the mahratta horsemen were climbing into their saddles and riding away out into the plain the sepoys were running hither and thither at the pagoda he found the soldiers turning out under arms and clive ordering his officers to do their best to rally the native troops in good order against the enemy at once moved forward towards the caravansary with two hundred english troops on arriving there he found a large body of sepoys firing away at random believing them to be his own men for the french and english sepoys were alike dressed in white he halted the english a few yards from them and rushed among them upbraiding them for their panic striking them and ordering them instantly to cease firing and form an order one of the sepoy officers recognized clive to be an englishman struck at him and wounded him with his sword clive still believing him to be one of his own men was furious what he considered an act of insolent insubordination and seizing him dragged him across to the small pagoda to hand him over as he supposed to the guard there to his astonishment he found six frenchmen at the gate and these at once summoned him to surrender great as was his surprise he did not for a moment lose coolness and at once told them that he had come to beg them to lay down their arms that they were surrounded by the whole army and that unless they surrendered his troops would give no quarter so impressed were the frenchmen with the firmness of the speaker that three of them at once surrendered while the other three ran into the temple to inform their commander 
Clive took the three men who had surrendered and returned to the English troops he had left near the caravansary. The French sepoys had discovered that the English were enemies and had moved quietly off. Confusion still reigned. Clive did not imagine for a moment that so daring an assault could have been made on his camp by a small body of enemies, and expected every moment an attack by Law's whole force. The commander of the French in the pagoda was disturbed by the news brought in by the three men from the gate, and dispatched eight of his most intelligent men to ascertain exactly what was going on. These, however, fell into the hands of the English, and the officer of the party, not knowing that the small pagoda was in the hands of the French, handed them over to a sergeant and told him to take a party and escort his eight prisoners and the three Captain Clive had captured to that pagoda for confinement there. Upon arrival at the gate, the Frenchmen at once joined their comrades, and these latter were also so bewildered at the affair that they allowed the English sergeant and his guard to march off again, unmolested. By this time, owing to the absence of all resistance elsewhere, Clive had learned that the whole of the party who had entered the camp were in the lesser pagoda, and as he was still expecting momentarily to be attacked by Law's main army, he determined to rid himself of this enemy in his midst. The pagoda was very strong, and only two men could enter abreast. Clive led his men to the attack, but so well did the French defend themselves that after losing an officer fifteen men, Clive determined to wait till morning. The French officer, knowing that he was surrounded and beyond the reach of all assistance, resolved upon cutting a way through, and at daylight his men sallied out from the temple. So fierce, however, was the fire with which the English received him, that twelve of his men were instantly killed, and the rest ran back into the temple. Clive, hoping that their commander would now surrender without further effusion of blood, advanced to the gateway and entered the porch to offer terms. He was himself so faint from the loss of blood from his wounds that he could not stand alone, but leaned against the wall, supported by two sergeants. The officer commanding the deserters came out to parley, but after heaping abuse upon Clive, leveled his musket and discharged it at him. He missed Clive, but killed the two sergeants who were supporting him. The French officer in command, indignant at this conduct, rushed forward at once to disavow it, and stated that he had determined to defend the post to the last, solely for the sake of the deserters, but that the conduct of their officer had released him from that obligation, and he now therefore surrendered at once. The instant day broke, and Clive saw that law was not as he expected at hand, he dispatched the Mahratta horse in pursuit of the French sepoys. These were overtaken and cut to pieces, and that one man of the force which Law had dispatched against Clive returned to the island. The English loss was heavy. The greater portion of the occupants of the small pagoda were bayoneted by the French when they entered, and as fifteen others were killed in the attack, it is probable that at least one-fourth of the English force under Clive were killed. Clive's own mistake was extraordinary. In addition to those of being killed by the French sepoy, among whom he ran by mistake, 
and of death at the hands of the treacherous deserter he had one almost as close when the french fired their valley into the caravansary a box at his feet was shattered and a servant who slept close to him was killed some days passed after this attack without any fresh movement on either side major lawrence then determined to drive back the artil he did not dispatch clive against him as this would involve the risk that law might again march out to surprise samiverian he therefore directed clive to remain at that place and watch the island while he sent the force of a hundred and fifty english four hundred sepoys five hundred maharatas with four guns to attack the hotel from his own force under captain dalton this officer in the advance marched his troops near samavarian and making as much show with them as he could impressed the hotel with the idea that the force was that of clyde accordingly he broke up his camp at utatua in the night abandoned his stores and retreated hastily upon valconda dalton then marched to samavarian and placed his force at clive's disposal and to prevent any disputes arising as to president and rank offered himself to serve under him as a volunteer not only d'hotel but law was deceived by dalton's march from the lofty towers of seringham he saw that the force marching towards utatatua believed that clive with his whole force had left samavarian and did now what he should have done before cross the river with all his troops clive's lookout on the temple of mansurpit perceived what was going on and signaled the news to clive who had once set out with his whole force and before law was prepared to issue out from Panchalanda, clive was within a mile of the place law might still have fought with a fair chance of success as he was far stronger than his enemy but he was again the victim of indecision and want of energy and covered by panchanda he fell back across the river again on the fifteenth of may clive captured panchanda and then determined to give a final blow to d'artel's forces which had he learned again set out to endeavour to relieve law he marched you to tatua to intercept him do you tell hearing of his coming instantly fell back again to valconda the native chief of this town however seeing that the affairs of the french were desperate and willing like all his countrymen to make his peace with the strongest had already accepted bribes from the english and upon d'artel's return closed the gate and refused to admit him clive soon arrived and d'artel caught between two fires surrendered with his whole force had law been a man of energy he had yet a chance of escape he had still seven or eight hundred french troops with him two thousand sepoys and four thousand of shunda sahib's troops he might then have easily crossed the cavalry at night and fallen upon lawrence whose force there now was greatly inferior to his own shunda sahib in vain begged him to do so his hesitation continued until three days after the surrender of d'hotel a battering train reached lawrence whereupon lord once surrendered his chief stipulation being that the life of shunda sahib should be spared the promise was not kept 
the unfortunate prince had preferred to surrender to the rajah of tanjore who had several times intrigued secretly with him rather than to muhammad ali or the english whom he regarded as his implacable enemies had he placed himself in our hands his life would have been safe he was murdered by the treacherous rajah within twenty-four hours of his surrender with the fall of seringam terminated the contest for the supremacy of the carnatic between the english and french fighting respectively on behalf of their puppets muhammad ali and chunda sahib the stage of the struggle was not a final one but both by its circumstances and by the prestige which we acquired in the eyes of the natives it gave us a moral ascendancy which even when our fortunes were afterwards at their worst was never lost again muhammad ali had himself gained but little in a struggle he was indeed nominally ruler of the carnatic but he had to rely for his position slowly on the support of the english bayonets indeed the promises of which he had been obliged to be lavish to his native allies to keep them faithful to his cause when that cause seemed all but lost now came upon him to trouble him and so precarious was his position that he was obliged to ask the english to leave two hundred english troops and fifteen hundred of their sepoys to protect the place against morari rio and the rajahs of mysore and tanjore the fatigues of the expedition had been great and when the force reached the seacoast major lawrence was forced to retire to fort st david to recover his health while clive whose health had now greatly broken down betook himself to madras which had when the danger of invasion by the french was at an end became the headquarters of the government of the presidency there were however two french strongholds dangerously near to madras Tavlong and chengalapat two hundred recruits had just arrived from england and five hundred natives had been enlisted as sepoys mr sanders begged clive to take the command of these and reduce the two fortresses he took with him two twenty-four pounders and four officers of whom two were charlie marriott and peters to both of whom clive was much attached owing to their courage readiness and good humour covelong was first attacked it mounted thirty guns and was garrisoned by fifty french and three hundred sepoys i don't like the look of these things mr charles tim Kelly said there's nothing but boys altogether white and black does it stand to reason a lot of gassoons who haven't learnt the goose step and haven't as much as a shred of faith either in themselves or their officers are fit to fight the french oh i don't know tim charlie said boys are just as plucky as men in their way and are ready to do all sorts of foolhardy things which men would hesitate to attempt and that is so mr charles when there are only other boys to deal with but as they're growing up they take some time before they're quite sure they're a match for men that's what it is your honor i tell ye and you will see it soon tim's predictions were speedily verified the very morning after they arrived before the fort the garrison made a sally fell upon the troops and killed one of their officers the whole of the new levies took to their heels and fled away from the fight 
clive with his three officers threw himself among them and for some time in vain attempted to turn the tide it was not indeed until several had been cut down that the rout was arrested and they were brought back to their duties a day or two later a shot striking a rock killed or wounded fourteen men and excited such panic that it was some time before the rest convention near the front the enemy with a considerable force marched from chengal platt to relieve the place clive left half his force to continue the siege and with the rest marched out and offered battle to the relieving force daring and confidence as usual prevailed had the enemy attacked there is little doubt they would have put clive's raw levies to flight they were however cowed by his attitude of defiance and retreated hastily the governor of Kovlong at once lost heart and surrendered the place, which he might have maintained for months against the force before it, and on the fourth day of the siege capitulated. A few hours afterwards, the enemy from Chengalplat, ignorant of the fall of the fort, again advanced, and Clive met them with his whole force. Taken by surprise, they suffered heavily. Clive pursued them to the gates of their fort, to which he at once laid siege. Fortunately for the English, the commander of this place, like him of Kovlong, was cowardly and incapable. Had it not been so, the fort, which was very strong, well-positioned, and well-garrisoned, might have held out for an indefinite time. As it was, it surrendered on the fourth day, and Clive took possession on the 31st of August. He returned to Madras, and there, a short time afterwards, married Miss Maskelyne finding his health however continuing to deteriorate he sailed for europe in february seventeen fifty three it was but five years since he had first taken up arms to defend fort st david an unknown clerk without prospects and without fortune utterly discontented and disheartened madras was in the hands of the french everywhere their policy was triumphant and the soil surrounded by the walls of st david's alone remained to the english in southern india in five years which had elapsed all had changed the english were masters of the carnatic the french were broken and discredited the english were regarded by the natives throughout the country as the coming power and of this great change no slight portion was due to the energy and genius of clive himself End of chapter ten